Let's Talk Sales. This is a podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program. Are you looking to experience a breakthrough in your team's sales? Have you tried sales training in the past, but were unable to make it stick? The Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program is a year-long engagement that combines sales and leadership training, a digital sales playbook, and a coaching and accountability process that will change your sales culture and drive sustained growth. Learn more at criteriaforsuccess.com. Throughout the month of April, we've been writing and talking about hiring and sharing best practices to help you make better hires. We know that's a big pain point for a lot of our listeners. You can check out the blog for best practices, information, and advice for you and your team at criteriaforsuccess.com blog. This episode of Let's Talk Sales continues our monthly series of training episodes where we share content from our training curriculum. If you are in a position to do so, make sure to take some notes. We are going to be sharing a ton of best practices and advice you'll want to implement. So who is that we? This is Elizabeth Frederick, Operations Officer and Senior Advisor. And with me today, I have our Marketing and Innovation Manager, Ariana Miskell. Hello, everybody. Today, we are going to be sharing best practices you can use throughout the entire process of hiring. We're going to talk about how you can prepare and plan your job description, what do you do during the interview process, and how can you ensure that your new hires are successfully onboarded so that you get the results that you're looking for. Don't forget to download this month's ebook, which is called The Ultimate Hiring Guide for Sales Managers. You can grab your copy in the show notes, along with some other resources that we will be mentioning in today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod145. And if you'd like to hear more about the ebook, be sure to check out episode 141, where I interviewed Rebecca about it. I will include a link to that episode in today's show notes, or you could always find it at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod141. We have a very simple naming convention there. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's jump in. I'm going to start when you're first thinking about hiring somebody and talk for a bit about that planning process. It's so incredibly important. So let's start by talking about your job description. Even when you're hiring somebody for an existing position, it's really important to review your job description to make sure that it's up to date. Maybe the expectations for the position have changed, or maybe the systems and processes you use are different. So for an example, right from here at Criteria for Success, um, you might have heard back in episode 141, Rebecca Toomey recently left CFS. And we are in the process of looking for a new director of marketing. And we realize that there are some things that used to be applicable in the old job description that other people on the team own those responsibilities now. Or they don't exist. (laughs) Or they don't exist. And so obviously we needed to take those out. And then there are things that we needed to add based on how our marketing processes have changed. So for example, podcast hosting like this, yep. <laughs> that is a skill that we're looking for in a new hire. Um, but when we hired Rebecca, we hadn't even thought of the idea of producing a podcast. Yeah, definitely not. Um, I'm a podcast person. I will lay claim to suggesting the podcast. But yeah, I feel like even four years ago when she started working here, podcasts probably hadn't taken off yet. They were not nearly as so, much of a thing as yeah. they are now, right? And so obviously you add things that maybe the current person does that weren't in their original job description. And then... You might add things that the person that just left, if you're replacing somebody, or that your existing team member with a similar job doesn't even have that skill set, but you realize you need it. Um, That's never intended to, you know, be a judgment against the person that left, but just to think, based on what we're looking for now, what do we need? So 
it's really tempting to just copy and paste a job description, mm-hmm. but it is almost never a good choice. <laughs> you can copy paste, but make sure you take that next step and edit. <laughs> Definitely edit it. All right. So what if this is a brand new position? Maybe you're hiring for a job that just never existed before. It's a good practice to try to picture that ideal candidate in your head. What are the unique talents and characteristics that that person would provide? One thing that can work really well is to consider people that you know that could be inside your organization or outside your organization that you feel would be successful at that job. This doesn't have to be a person you think you could hire, right? <laughs> Maybe it's somebody that you couldn't afford. Mark or, Cuban. <laughs> yep. Or somebody that's not, um, you know, not in the market for a new job. But you think about them and you think they would do that job really well. Don't get caught up in personal characteristics, um, you know, obviously age or race or gender or anything like that. But think about personality traits, skill sets, talents that that person demonstrates that made you think of them. Um, Think about how you could look for those traits and put those in the job description as you're developing it. Um, You don't want to just put years of experience and able to use this tool and this process. Um, Really think through those personality types. Like, for example, does somebody need to be very self-directed and self-motivated? Or do they need to be able to follow a distinct process and not get bored and kind of go off on their own Mm -hmm. way? Those are two completely different types. And you need to think about that when it comes to the job description. So getting very, very specific. Here are some sections that we would recommend including in your job description. The first one is responsibility. So this is what we most often see in a job description. What is the person responsible for? What are they going to do day to day? It can be helpful in your full version of your job description to even write up a little section like a day in the life. Um, For some jobs, it's not as relevant, but for some jobs that can be really helpful. The next section is accountability. That is, how is the person going to be measured? What results do you expect them to achieve? For some positions like sales, it's going to be really obvious. You have a quota of a million dollars or a quota of you know $50,000, whatever fits for your organization. But if it's a non-sales role, what are the goals that you intend this person to be working toward? It can be a little harder, but you really wanna think through. And then the final section is reporting. What information should they report? To whom are they reporting it? And how often? That ties into both of those previous sections. And that's something that we very rarely see in a job description. But you'll want to put something in there. Again, for example, a salesperson. You're expected to update your pipeline on a weekly basis by 3 p.m. so it can be included in our weekly sales team meeting. Or you are expected to, you know, present your... um, sales numbers um, on a quarterly basis. That would be a little long to me, but you know, whatever (laughs) makes the most sense for your organization. Really important. And now I'm going to talk about a secret weapon we have here at CFS. This is a mystery. Everybody we have ever told this to and trained on this loves it because it is a significant help to you um, outside just the whole concept of the hiring process. It actually saves you time and um, embarrassment. So, Picture this. Dun, 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 dun. It is 2 p.m. on a Tuesday, and your candidate has showed up right on time for their job interview. They're not 20 minutes early, um, but they're still, you know, nice, timely, on time. And you, of course, are a busy manager, and you are running just a little tiny bit behind. You are not even sure exactly who it is that you are meeting with. Yep. And you are not terribly prepared to interview them. Mm-hmm. And then maybe 
you know, is a good candidate, but they don't fully understand every element of the job description. They saw a posting, they sent in a resume and a cover letter, but they don't know all the ins and outs of that detailed job description you Mm -hmm. have. So this one tool will solve both of those problems. Wow. (laughs) I know, it's pretty amazing. And it's so easy to create. So all you have to do, this is it, is take your job description and add spaces. So you're going to put each section of the job description on a separate page and leave space after it for the candidate to respond. When they show up, you're going to have somebody, it could be you or somebody else, show them to the room where the interview is and give them that candidate version of the job description. Give them 10 to 15 minutes to complete it by writing down how they feel they're a fit based on each section. So for example, how do you feel like your skills correspond to the skills that we're looking for? How do your experiences align with the experiences that we're looking for? This will give you breathing room. (laughs) You get a chance to finish whatever it is that you're doing. I know for me, every time a candidate shows up, I'm right in the middle of writing a very important email. (laughs) Guaranteed, right? Uh, And you can also take a couple minutes to review their resume before you start Mm -hmm. the interview so you're prepared. And it's going to ensure that they have read the entire job description. Um, If you forget to ask them about one specific part of the job, they've actually filled out their response. Mm -hmm. And so you can review it after the interview. So simple tool. Again, you just add spaces to the job description, but it solves so many problems. Yeah, so like each each section is on its own page, right? Typically, I mean, if it's a short section, maybe you put a big space after it and then you put another little section on a different page. But I find it easiest to put each section on a page. Mm -hmm. You tell them, you know, don't write a book. Give them a time limit. I remember when I did that, when I had to do the candidate version, when I was interviewing here, I was like, oh my gosh, how much am I supposed to write? And I just mm-hmm. went crazy and wrote like a novel under each section. And we hired you. So Yes. <laughs> um, Rebecca, actually, when we hired her, this is way back in the day, but um, she kind of checked off each bullet mm-hmm. above um, as she was responding to it below. I think she even put numbers and correlated. We see all different things that people do. Um, and then you're not going to read that mm-hmm. when the person comes into interview. Uh, Ariana in a minute is going to talk all about interviews. But um, you don't read it when they sit down. Um, you can reference it after, only if you're interested in moving forward with the next step. Um, So do you think maybe at this point you're done with job descriptions? Uh, Not so much. There is one more tool to develop using those job descriptions that you developed, and that is an interview scorecard. Interview scorecards help ensure that you are comparing apples to apples. Have you ever finished a job interview and realized that you forgot to ask the candidate about one aspect of the job? Maybe you ended up kind of talking for longer than expected about one side of the the job because they had a lot of experience Mm -hmm. there. You just got off on a tear and then you kind of derailed the rest of the interview a little bit. Interview scorecards will make sure that you know what categories to ask questions in and that you ask those questions. It's also really helpful when you have multiple people interviewing a candidate. That will ensure that everybody is looking at the same categories of topics. That is so important. Definitely. Um, So me as operations officer, I spend a lot of time working with clients, a lot of times in operations. If I'm interviewing somebody without a scorecard, I'm going to ask those types of questions that are relevant to me. And then Charles will come in as a CEO and he'll ask completely different questions. Mm-hmm. And then Ariana would come in and she'd ask completely different questions. And then we, we meet to discuss our you know, impressions of this candidate. And I'll be like, I loved them. They seem really process oriented and able to project manage. And Ariana's like, well, I didn't see any skills in writing. I was like, oh, I didn't ask about writing. 
right? Or maybe think about it. <laughs> some people have very different personalities, and we see a lot with clients. There are strong personalities involved with the hiring process, and the interview scorecards are kind of unbiased because you have to score someone based off of certain criteria, and that way you can't just be hung up on oh well their like shoe them. was untied yes, or you know exactly whatever um, else. And having that scorecard, especially when you've got those strong personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to buy in on the scorecard. Mm-hmm. And if they push back on the scorecard, what that tells you is you've got to take two steps back. They probably don't align on the job description. Because the way you develop an interview scorecard is you take those key characteristics from the job description and then you create a row for each one of them. Mm-hmm. And then you can either script an exact question or you can give a prompt. You know, ask about self-starting. You know, right. ask about how they like to be managed. Ask about... Um, you know, a win for them in this area. Ask about their writing experience. Ask about um, their biggest sales win or how they like to sell, their ability and interest in prospecting. Pick those categories. And then if you want to take it to the level of specific questions, you can. I tend to advise against that. Um, The person interviewing is going to have a different style and they're probably not going to ask the question that way anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, That tends to happen. So what you're going to want to do is have people score candidates on a one to five scale for each category and um, create a space in that scorecard for people to also write down some notes. The scores are going to tell you a lot about the interviewer's perception of the candidate. And again, it's especially helpful when multiple people are interviewing the same candidate. If you see different scores, What that tells you is that you have different perspectives and one person might have observed something. Um, Even, let's say, there's two types of group uh, where multiple people interview. One type is when you're all sitting in the same interview. Mm -hmm. You should still each have a scorecard. And maybe I gave somebody a two and Ariana gave somebody a four in the same category. We'll ask, what did I see that made me think they were a two? And what did Ariana see that made her think it was a four? Um, But then it also could be that I meet with them one time Mm -hmm. and then they come in a different time or they just move to Ariana's office after and they meet with her and then they might show up differently with me than with her. We've had candidates come in where Charles and I were interviewing the same person and they just talked to Charles and ignored me, Um, which I think maybe there's a little bit of sexism involved. Just maybe a little. But, or ageism or something. Um, And that obviously is a disqualifier if Charles had not noticed, which he obviously is smart enough to have noticed that if he hadn't he might have thought wow this person was great and be like actually not so much i also like the scorecards because they show um some people tend to be more forgiving Mm -hmm. so they'll give more inflated scores and other people will be a lot more harsh and just give you a two on anything and for them a three might as well be a five absolutely so the scorecard kind of shows okay well for elizabeth you know a 65 percent is pretty much an a for me so (laughs) a little bit i'm definitely i'm definitely a pretty critical scorer so it's really important to have those scorecards. And um, you can find templates for all of these things that I've been talking about. The job description, the candidate version, and the interview scorecards in the ebook that we were talking about, which you will find in the notes for today's show. Yeah, so now that we kind of went through everything there is about the job descriptions and the scorecards, we are going to talk now about the interview process. So 
The interview process obviously depends on your company, um, but we're going to give you our standard process that we provide to clients initially so that you can modify it to fit your needs. Absolutely. So in the latest hiring ebook, um, you're going to see the entire interview process mapped out. So if you're taking notes or you can't take notes right now, just download the ebook like Elizabeth mentioned and it will all be there. Um, but if you haven't realized from everything Elizabeth just said, structure is crucial for a great hiring or interview process. And absolutely. Without structure, there's absolutely no way to fairly compare candidates or to make sure that you have made the best decision when it comes to actually hiring someone. Um, so that your job descriptions are solid and you have your interview scorecards for each step of the interview process. And now you might ask, what are the steps that we recommend? Well, we have found that you need at least three interviews with any given candidate to be sure whether or not they are a fit. Now, three is the minimum, and you can always go more. Sometimes, depending on the position, we do five. Um, my sister actually just was interviewing for a position, and they had six rounds. Um, so it really depends on what your needs are and whatever you feel, but at least three. Absolutely. And I know you're going to go into some detail, mm -hmm. but just to emphasize the importance of having these multiple rounds, people might give their best impression in interview one, right? And even interview two. And what happens a lot is that they start to really show through mm -hmm. in interview three or later. Mm -hmm. And you might make some discoveries and really avoid making mistakes if right. you don't try to rush that interview process. Right. I know it's a big investment of time to make in interviewing people, um, but it's worth it. It's a whole lot easier to decide not to hire somebody than to have to deal with firing And them. it's a whole lot cheaper to keep looking for the right candidate than to deal with the turnover. Absolutely. So... I guess I'll get started in talking about the first interview. And the first interview is usually considered the video or the phone screen. Um, this is when you would decide if you wanted to add a step. We have found that sometimes we prefer to do a phone screen initially and then a video screen before mm -hmm. we bring anyone into the office. Um, but the perk of that is that it saves time because if someone lacks the key necessary characteristics of the position, you can disqualify them from a video interview pretty quickly. Um, it saves the time of them coming to the office and having them sit down and fill out the candidate version of the job description that we just talked about. Absolutely. And the video interview is not intended in any way to be discriminatory. You're not judging people based on their appearance. No. But that's really telling you how they show up, how they how they communicate, how they speak. Um, and you learn a lot about them. Um, right. You have to be careful, again, what your preconceptions are going in. And I just want to remind you, too, that regardless of the number of interviews or whether or not you think the phone screening or the video screening is a little bit more casual, you should always have a scorecard. Yeah, and it will likely be a different scorecard. So you're going to score on the big categories at the beginning yes. and then further refine them down as you move down the yes. interview process. Yep, so with going off of what Elizabeth said, um, the phone screen is all about cutting to the chase. Absolutely. It's, do you have the basic skills to be a viable candidate for this position, right? It's um, if this position's for a bookkeeper, the candidate needs accounting experience. I would hope so. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, if not, they're not a fit. Unfortunately, no matter how nice or personable they are, it just wouldn't work. They don't have the experience or the knowledge necessary to complete the job. 
Um, the interview for the phone screening should pertain to the basic requirements necessary to your job description, as well as the reasons why the candidate is looking for a new position. So I always like to ask um, to the candidates, maybe because I'm a little bit nosy or interested, but <laughs> I want to know, you know, why you're looking for a new position. Um, sometimes it's a disqualifier when a candidate dives into some whirlwind of office drama that you can't relate to or is just a little bit awkward and strange. Um, and sometimes people just say, you know, my company went bankrupt and I'm looking for a new position or they're looking for growth and change and all are good answers. Absolutely. And again, you think about it. You don't want to be asking these questions. Um, you don't want a manager or an executive to have to be asking that question right. in an in-person interview. So you want to get all this information out as early as possible, only because it might raise some red flags. Right. And then you have your scorecards to provide the next person that's interviewing, and they will have all the information they need um, and the answers to these questions. But just to get back, uh, some other things that you're looking for in the phone screening are degree, years of experience, basic skills, maybe software skills like Salesforce CRM, HubSpot, um, Photoshop, and phone presence. They're all examples of things that you'd score for. I mean, you can't hire a salesperson that isn't really able to speak on the phone. That would be unwise. <laughs> but um, so the second interview gets more into the experience of the job. Again, we're going down the funnel and each interview is getting more refined. Um, so does the candidate have any past experiences that align with what you're looking for? The questions in this interview will relate more to the responsibility section of the job description rather than the traits, which we talked about prior in the phone screening or the video screening. So the interviewer will typically ask more long-form questions to really analyze the candidate's ability to think critically and on their feet. Um, it will also show the interviewer how they handle being challenged. Um, and you'll want to ask questions that pertain to your office culture as well. So one that we always ask is the candidate's thoughts on working for a tight-knit team and wearing a lot of hats. Yep. Because here at Criteria for Success, obviously we have the operations officer and the marketing manager hosting a podcast. We do a lot more than that's in our job description. Definitely. Um, so your we, title is kind of... Um, concept here. Yes, <laughs> abstract concept. But we expect our new hires to be on board with us um, because you need to have the same personalities. Like you got to have the go-getters that want to work with you. So definitely important to wear a lot of hats. And that's why we asked that question. Definitely. And again, um, think about what is your management style? Um, how how this person is going to be expected to act and um, engage with other team members and ask questions about that. Will they fit the yep. culture? And we're going to get to that in just a few seconds. So Absolutely. We are reading each other's minds, but between the second and third interview, we recommend having the candidates complete deliverables. And to what Elizabeth was saying, we require every candidate to complete a blog post and a disc assessment at minimum. Um, and if the position requires a specific skill that can't be seen in interviews, we will create another, another deliverable that will help us see whether or not the candidate has this skill. Uh, for one position, we actually brought candidates with us to client meetings to see how they would fare. Um, and for 
a client hiring a sales operations manager, we recommended that they ask a candidate to create a sales forecasting plan or a way to analyze Salesforce data that the company currently was not using. So these deliverables can be, they're dependent on the job, but we like to believe that the disk assessment and blog posts say a lot about the candidate. Definitely. When I was hired at Criteria for Success all the way back in uh, 2004, Four two thousand two thousand five, yeah two thousand five. I started February twenty fifth two thousand five, and or no two thousand eight. I'm losing <laughs> my mind. Two thousand eight was an election year, and um, my I actually met with um, an existing client of Criteria mm-hmm. for Success before I started, and that was a way that Charles got some insight into. Um, into how I would be able to relate to clients, even though my role wasn't intended to be client facing, and then it became client facing quickly. As I speak, as I say this out loud, I'm wondering if he had some his intention some all along. Agendas. Um, but we ha- we've had people um, meet with Charles's business coach to provide insight. Um, wherever you think you have some kind of gaps. Um, and concerns after that second interview, uh, it's a good idea to try to address those as you come up to that third interview. Yeah, so back to the DISC assessment, um, but and kind of what you were saying about management styles and communication styles, I want to point out first that the DISC assessment isn't a qualifier or a disqualifier. Absolutely. But it's a way to see more into the personality and behaviors of a candidate. Uh, Everyone's on their best behavior in interviews, hopefully. (laughs) Fingers crossed. I mean, we've seen it all. But it also helps you place the candidate with a manager or supervisor that would best match their communication style. So although I said it wasn't a disqualifier, obviously... The candidate's reaction to it may be. A lot of times these DISC assessments, they're basically unbiased reports of your behaviors and your personalities and communication style and how you act. Um, And some negative behaviors obviously show up. And if the candidate vehemently denies the behaviors or becomes aggressively defensive, that may be a red flag that they are you know, not really able to receive constructive criticism or feedback, and they probably won't be able to learn, grow, or adapt within your company. Absolutely. And we often see that throughout the interview process, that sometimes people's, the the content of what somebody says isn't a disqualifier so much as how they say it. Yes. So for example, we had somebody where we had some small concerns about their ability to, um, to present information based on something that they did during the third interview. And when we reached out to them in a very professional way and said, you know, we're, we're still interested in moving forward, but we're going to ask you to do a next step. He got so defensive. And so he said, if I have, you know, basically, if I haven't shown you enough by now, um, yep. like, and, and he disqualified himself by his response. Yep. And so think about how people are interacting as you make these requests. And you're not just making people jump through hoops to jump through hoops. Right. Every deliverable should be something that helps you make a decision that adds value, that really shows you what kind of a person, what kind of an employee this person would be. And if they are slow to respond or there's kind of shoddy quality or, um, you know, just the way they the way they interact with you tells you a lot about them. Yeah, and it's a pretty tight job market these days. I mean, it's definitely in favor of the candidates, so... It's not exactly cheap to hire new employees these days, so you really need to make sure that you're thorough and that you're making the right decision. 
But now it's for the fun part. So the third and final interview, in my opinion, is the most fun. Probably not for the candidate, but for <laughs> the the interviewers. But so everyone, get your notepads out, notepads out, or hit record on your phones because I'm about to give you the trade secret for hiring the right candidate. Um, we call it the chemistry test. This Ooh. is tried and true, time and time again. This chemistry test proves to be the godsend of helping us honestly disqualify candidates. Um, it's the best way to see how they operate naturally uh, because it kind of, to be honest, puts them on the spot a little bit. And it's, it's very um, abnormal for an interview. So it's not something that someone could typically prepare for. Instead, it's kind of off the cuff and it lets you see their personality the most. So Definitely, because I, I'll just jump in. Okay. People are so incredibly prepared for yes. just about every question you ask. They are coached. If they're looking for a job, they have been on other interviews. Yep. They have role practice with their friends and family. And you need to put them off their game a little. You don't want to do that by asking one of those silly questions. You know, sell me this pencil. Yeah. Or, you know, how many ants would fit in this jar in front of me? Or, or something just uh -huh. absolutely silly like that. I know that became a bit of a trend. Um, the gotcha <laughs> questions. Or I, so I, when I went to business school at Fordham, it was a lot of banking students. Mm -hmm. And one of the big rumors was that, oh, when you go to apply for these crazy summer analyst positions, they ask you to break a window or to get a chair out of a window. So you have to throw the chair through the skyscraper window. And that's the only way you'll get hired. And it's just so it's, bizarre. It, it's just gimmicky. And that that's silly. And it doesn't yeah. tell you about the person. No. This tells you about the person. Yeah, it's like not Wolf of Wall Street is not how business actually <laughs> operates. Hopefully. Hopefully. But yeah, so the chemistry test, um, it's in the final interview. So whether it's the third or the sixth or the eighth. Um, but the most important thing is that you get those who would be on the candidate's team together. And I know for some very large corporations, this could be tough. So we recommend um, at least four people who would be directly working with the candidate, whether it's some a sales rep that you trust or sales managers or supervisors, you decide. But at least four people should be involved. Definitely. Um, so after introducing to the team, you want to explain to the candidate that you have a whiteboard exercise for them. Mm -hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Um, and if you don't have a whiteboard, you'll have to get creative and make this work in the space you have, whether yep. it's on a piece of paper or... You can definitely do it on a flip chart. On a flip chart. Um, whiteboard is the best option because then they're kind of presenting to you, but whatever works, works. So then on the whiteboard, you will draw out four columns, and these are as followed. Core values, what I do not like to do, but will do anyway, a personal or professional win, and anything else, right? So that's one, core values. Two, what I don't like to do, but will do anyway. Three, a personal or professional win, and four, anything else. So when the candidate is done, have a conversation about their responses and let the team member ask questions. Um, You'll find that while the candidates are doing the exercise, they'll probably ask questions like, well, would you prefer this? Or should you really, you know, a recent personal win or a recent professional win? And you got to guide them to say, listen, it's up to you. Um, 
So, yeah. so don't whatever help you, them too much. You don't want to help them too much. You don't want to give it away because there's no right or wrong answer. Um, but it's definitely interesting to see how their brain works and what they go to first. So definitely, and like I said, you know, you don't help them too much. It's not hard for hard sake, but it right. shows you how they think. If they are asking too many questions. That might tell you they want to be micromanaged. Yep. And that's a little bit of a concern. You want to see, can they think on their feet? Right. And also it shows, you know, if you have a client facing hire that you're making or a salesperson, they should be ready to like put on the act and, and make you guys want to hire them. I remember when I did this, because this is something that every single employee at Criteria for Success does. Um, Absolutely. My I don't like to do, but we'll do anyway column was Excel spreadsheets, and Elizabeth laughed. She was like, <laughs> I'm the queen of Excel. Like, that's all I like to do. Not yeah. all you like to do, but... My favorite thing. Um, it's funny because there are definitely trends that you see. Um, I did this back. It was 2008. I don't know why I forgot. I moved to New York in 2005. That's probably what I was thinking of. But um, all the way back, February 2008, and... Um, I actually, just last week, Ariana's going to talk about, I'm stealing your thunder. Um, when they finish this exercise, you want to have, write their name on the whiteboard, write the date and take a picture. Yes. We print off those pictures if we hire the person and put it in their employee file. Yes. So I just, this week, we were talking about this after having a, um, an interesting interview. We cannot tell the story on the podcast, but it was interesting. It was very interesting. Um, and, uh, I said, man, I remember back when I did this and I went to my file because I have access to it and searched and pulled it back and I found it and for example my um my core value I think I put excellence Mm -hmm. and what I don't like to do but will do anyway I said presentations which I was doing oh my gosh it's so funny (laughs) and now I make a whole lot of presentations and something that's really important is to see again how that person responds for example I wrote each one or actually I spoke to about each one and then turned around and wrote it down after Mm -hmm. sometimes people will write out the whole whiteboard and then speak to it their back is to you for a long time. That's a little awkward. It's kind of nice if they write one and then speak to it, write one. But again, they don't know the answer. But they don't know that. And so you want to just see how they respond and think about if they did this in front of a client, what would the client think? Again, if it's a client-facing role. Right. Yeah, no, the chemistry test is so fun. I mean, we've had candidates and our clients have had candidates that get pretty far and then they do the chemistry test and you're just like, whoa. Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? Are you I mean, it's tough because when you're hiring people, you need to be able to relate to them on a personal level too, to some extent. And if someone's living a life in outer space and, you know, the, the anything else column usually shows that because it's the first thing that comes to mind. Yep. Um, and it's really fun to see what people say. It is. I mean, we... You know, and you learn a lot about a person. We had somebody who put balloon animals. There. Yes. It was somebody who actually ended yeah, up hiring as a short-term position. We talked about that on the past. Yeah. And yeah. it you learn about the person. You're like, oh, balloon animals. I never would have thought that about yeah. you. And it tells you something, and it sparks a conversation. I think you might have written something about ballet. I don't remember. Yeah, we that should was, look at your file. Yeah. But I know we learned during the interview process that you had done ballet, and you yep. learned some life. Maybe you put that in the personal and professional win. I don't know. I really now don't I've got remember. to go and pull that. It was a long time ago. We'll have to look. I'll post it. No, I'm not posting it in the show notes. No, no. <laughs> My chemistry test is not going in the show notes. But we will give you the structure for it in the ebook if you download it. Definitely. So, Good compromise. Yeah. So you will be surprised at how fun and interesting this process is. All right. So a candidate has made it through the interview process and you're good, right? 
Just tell them their start date and you're good to go. Not so fast. Effectively onboarding and ramping up your new employee will ensure that they are set up to succeed. We would recommend setting up a two to three week long ramp plan where you are accounting for every hour of that new employee's time. You can certainly do this on a case-by-case basis if you want to, Um, that's pretty onerous, but the best way to approach it is to build out a list of training modules that any new employee might need and then categorize them by position. So for example, um, everybody might need to learn how to use our phone system. Um, Only people who are involved in a client-facing role need to learn the CRM system. Mm -hmm. Salespeople need to learn the value proposition. Um, Everybody needs this HR documentation, whatever that might be. Then for each new hire, you're going to select the modules that are appropriate for their position and schedule time with somebody to train them. The specific timetable will depend on people's availability. Now, if you have access to a learning management system, this is all automated, which is a very nice thing to have. Um, Typically, smaller organizations might not have budget for a learning management system. And so it's something you can certainly do just using, you know, Excel. Um, Speaking of Excel (laughs) or Word or whatever tool that you might have. Um, But you don't want to lean so much on technology, regardless of what system you use, that people don't know where to go for questions. You still want to make sure to connect your new hire to key internal subject matter experts. Then whatever your training plan is, make sure to leave time for self-directed learning. People need time to process what they're learning, and they can explore the topics that most interest them. For example, one person might watch a training video on a topic, 100% get it, and just be able to move on. Mm-hmm. Somebody else might need some time to practice and um, use the tool that they're, that they're learning. Everybody has a different style of learning, and you need to support that. Um, you also want to think about um, just obviously people have different experiences. And so for some people, maybe who've used your CRM system before, they just need to brush up on that training a bit. But if somebody used a completely different platform or maybe somehow never used a CRM system before, Mm -hmm. they're going to need to spend a little more time on that. Um, Speaking of training, I cannot help myself from recommending some of our eBooks as part of this learning. And in general, eBooks are a good thing to include. So we have a number of resources targeted to salespeople, including eBooks about prospecting, targeting, building relationships, improving customer service. I think you wrote that one, Arianna. Yes. And a comprehensive eBook about how to sell anything to anyone. (laughs) So we will include links to all of these in the show notes, but you can also just check out the resources area of our website to find the eBooks that would be most appropriate for your training plan. You want to think about how can you make this um, training as easy as possible. Mm -hmm. And so if people are watching videos or reading eBooks and it doesn't have to be one-on-one time sitting with a person, that's obviously very efficient for you, but don't lean so much on that, that they don't have that one-on-one time. It's, It's important to balance. Now, in addition to the training plan, you want to consider the person's work environment and their first day experience. Do they have everything that they need to be successful? Is their equipment set up properly? Do they have licenses for any software they might need? I have heard a lot of horror stories about people's first day experiences, and I even have a few crazy ones myself. (laughs) That first day tells you a lot about a company's culture and how they're going to treat you moving forward. I actually wrote an ebook um, a few years ago about onboarding. And as part of it, I solicited online, I just asked on LinkedIn, um, who has horror stories mm-hmm. about onboarding? And there was somebody who had been given a laptop that had jelly all over it. It hadn't been cleaned from the previous user. Um, there That's was somebody so who had been, who had started a new job and been given a company credit card and said, go buy a computer. 
Are you serious? Uh-huh. I know someone who works for a company that wasn't even provided a computer and had to buy it themselves. Oh. Isn't that strange? That is. Yeah. I hope that was disclosed before they started. Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. So you want to think about um, just what what tone are you setting in that first day? Hopefully it's not the jelly on the laptop tone. Ew. Um, you want to make sure to make that new employee's first day a celebration and set their new role off right. Show them around. Make introductions. Make sure they're able to get their work area set up. If you're the direct manager, you want to schedule time at the end of the day to check in and see how everything went. Um, if you're not the direct manager, make sure the direct manager does that. Um, throughout the onboarding process, it often makes sense to identify a mentor who's going to partner with that new hire and check in, making sure that they're learning everything and answering any questions that might have. In that ebook that I talked about, about onboarding that I wrote, I included three different checklists that you can use to make sure that you have a solid onboarding process. So we'll include a link to that um, ebook in the show notes. Finally, uh, let's talk for a bit about how your sales playbook can help you throughout this whole process. Oh, yeah. So basically the playbook, as you guys know, because we always talk about it, is your go-to knowledge platform for everything related to your company, your sales organization, um, hiring, firing, uh, celebrating, vacationing, selling, buying. (laughs) All of it is in the playbook. Right. Anything that you could think of. Um, So with that said, it's super, super important that you document your entire hiring process in the playbook. Absolutely. You think about all the different people that might be involved in the hiring process, whether they need to do one of those interviews Mm -hmm. or they sit in on the chemistry test and they need to know what the process is. And so if it's in the playbook and they have Mm -hmm. access, you can direct them to that. That could be anything from, you know, having a link to the Dropbox or box file Mm -hmm. uh, or folder of all of the interview scorecards or anything else that they would need. Definitely. And for some companies, depending on what platform you're using for your sales playbook, you might actually put all of that information, like the scorecards and the resume and the notes in the playbook. Mm -hmm. Um, We have some clients where they'll create a page or a folder for each candidate in the playbook and then just put all of those files and documents. So if I'm coming in for interview three and I don't know anything about this candidate, you send me a link to that folder Mm -hmm. and I review all of that material. Another thing to consider including is your employee handbook in the playbook. We actually do this at CFS. So the handbook that spells out all of the policies around time off and company attire and um, vacation policies and all of that, that is in the playbook. And what we do is during the person's first week, usually it's on day one or day two, we have them review the, the employee handbook and they actually leave a comment on each page indicating that they've reviewed it. Mm -hmm. And that, shows us that they are aware of our policies and if they were to violate them we have at least some confirmation that they um they knew what they were we've never really had to deal with that fortunately but you know it's there as an option (laughs) yeah so then you also want to manage your ramp plan in the playbook and this is what elizabeth just spoke about um for onboarding definitely we often find that it's helpful to if you've got ebooks and videos and specific things people need to learn a lot of that information might already be in your playbook as best practices for the team, right? And so a lot of our clients have built out onboarding or ramp plan sections where they'll say, you know, day one, read this page mm-hmm. and do this thing. Watch the video on this page. Download this ebook. 
um, and then check in with your mentor. <laughs> yeah, and that relates to the next one we wanted to talk about, which is making sure that new salespeople read the playbook as part of their initial learning. Um, and that includes, if it's a criteria for success sales playbook, watching all the sales training videos that we have embedded in all the playbooks um, and also their unique content that exists in there. Definitely. Um, it's so incredibly important. We uh, interview our clients a lot. We do exploration interviews at the beginning and then we check in. And the people who find the most value in the sales playbooks are the new hires who started after the playbook was <laughs> developed. You think about it. If you start a new job and there's a playbook for how to do your job. With success stories. Oh my gosh. And best practices and examples. Invaluable. And it's built by the team. And so, you know, it's not some dusty tool that management developed like 20 years ago. And people are still using it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Um, and then finally, one great best practice is to have new hires share about their experiences in the playbook. So for example, you might say, um, review this list of common objections that you might hear and the best practice responses that the team has developed. They might leave a comment saying, um, I, I actually have a suggestion of a different way to respond. Um, or you might say, review the process and maybe they'll have some thoughts for making things more efficient. Obviously, give them the appropriate guidance. You don't want somebody feeling like they need to edit the whole playbook, but let them jump in and, and get started. Definitely. And you want to make sure that they get to work interacting with the playbook right away. So I hope all of our listeners got a ton of insights into improving your hiring and onboarding processes. There is a lot more that we didn't talk about that you can find in that ebook, which we will include a link to in the show notes. And um, also in all of the various blog posts that uh, have been uh, posted over the month of April. So really encourage everybody who has additional questions to, um, to check those out. And then you can always email us with any questions or feedback at podcast.criteriaforsuccess.com. Thank you so much for listening to Let's Talk Sales. You can find the notes for today's show and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod145. Make sure to tune in next week where I will be talking to Charles about the book he's finishing, which is called Enabling Buying in a World of Selling. Hopefully everybody's intrigued. Ooh. Um, we are so excited to share it with you. Uh, I think we have the person who came up with the title for that book on this podcast today. Well, actually, it's our mission statement as well. So. It is, but that is Ariana's amazing wordsmithing. Thank she you. is a genius at that. Um, that's actually a question I'm going to be asking him about uh, when, when I interview him about that ebook. So I suppose we <laughs> spoiled it here for those listeners who listen to the end. Um, and in the meantime, stay tuned for this Friday's inspiration, where Natalia is going to be sharing a great quote from Steve Jobs, who obviously had some great wisdom to share. And again, those dedicated listeners who listen all the way to the end of the episode. We love you. <laughs> we love you. You are our favorite. Um, we want to learn more about you and how we can improve the podcast to add more value to you. So please take our listener survey, which you can find at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod survey. The survey will take you just a few minutes. And if you complete the survey, you can enter a drawing to win an Amazon gift card. For the rest of the month, we are going to continue to write about hiring on the CFS blog, which you can find again at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog. If you're enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a rating or a review. This will help more people find the show, and it lets us know what's working and where we have room to improve. And remember, you can follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling!